0: Danielle Snelling was 23 when her mother, Rosa, died. The experience left Danielle feeling isolated and misunderstood. When she connected with Eloise, who was also grieving the loss of her mum, they uncovered a shared understanding and validation in each other's stories. Together, they founded Motherless Daughters Australia, with the aim of connecting some of the 3.7 million Australian women who have lost their mum. In this conversation, Danielle debunks the five stages of grief. She suggests tips for coping with the relentless triggers and difficult times that arise during milestone and annual calendar events, and she shares what not to say to someone who is grieving. If your mum has passed and you have a deep yearning to pick up the phone and ask her just one more question, or if you're a mum yourself facing health issues imagining what it might be like to die early and not see your children live into adulthood, or if you wish to cherish and honour the mother-daughter relationship, then this episode will likely resonate with you. Here's my chat with Danielle. Danielle, your mum, Rosa, died nine years ago. Tell me about Rosa and what kind of person she was.
1: Our mum was Italian. She was a a really, really great cook and she was just such a a mum. She was a real mum. My brother and I never had to doubt how much she loved us or, you know, what she would do for us. It was just, yeah, we were really lucky to have a mum like her.
0: And how do you know when you talk about she was a mum, what is a mum to you?
1: just her love for us was so great and and obvious and and very clear in in everything that she did and you know she was so supportive and and critical when she needed to be she's just instilled lots of great values and morals in us and we we do all that we can to make her proud and honor her and and make sure that we carry those values and morals that she that she taught us
0: as i said she died 9 years ago so take me back to that time in your life what was happening you were Twenty-three when she died. Mm. Yeah. So, what was that period like? Was she sick for some time? Help us understand what was happening at that at that period.
1: Yeah, she had cancer for two years. Uh, she had a really rare sort of uterine cancer, actually. I was at uni at the time, so I was travelling back and forth to Melbourne with her from Inverloch, uh, while Dad stayed back down there with Dean and and kept his life somewhat normal because he was twelve. Uh, so, you know, he'd only just started year nine. Yeah, I was just going back and forth with mum, and my life of going out with friends and partying and living carefree kind of changed really, really quickly. And uh, I grew up, had to grow up really quickly, and my priorities and perspective on life changed. So I, I could, I felt, you know, like it was a really difficult time because I could no longer relate to the. The friends that I had in that period of time. I kind of was drawn to women or older women or, or others who had been through a, a difficult time of some sort because I felt they just had that that sense of understanding.
0: What do you think your friends at that time, they're, they're 21, 22, 23, what didn't they understand?
1: Probably just the level of responsibility that that sat on my shoulders, the mental load that I was carrying, you know, the I wouldn't have even understood, you know, at that age, contemplating not having my mum, they didn't understand what that felt like or the the thoughts that would go through my head. You know, they would always say, think positive. But every time we'd have a scan, a CT scan, or every time we went to get results, the thinking positive wasn't working. So their advice just didn't match the situation for me and I found I'd, I got more support from others who had been through kind of difficult or challenging situations.
0: Do you think the people that understood needed to have had a chronically sick mother or did they just have to have experienced um, grief or fear or overwhelm or unknown?
1: Yeah, the latter. Um, I think when mum passed away, I definitely seeked women who had experienced the loss of their mum, but certainly when she was sick, it was more so just anybody who had been through something, you know, challenging or or difficult that could offer a a bit of a different perspective because they knew those be positive kind of comments don't really provide much comfort or support at at, at those, you know, times when you're in, you know, when you're anxious or there's so much distress, you kind of need a little bit more than be positive. Mm -hmm.
0: In fact, sometimes that can not only do nothing to help, it can create some kind of negative impact as well, can it?
1: And exacerbate anxiety, I think, as well. And for me, I just decided I wouldn't speak to those people about it anymore because I wasn't getting what I needed. I didn't want to hear be positive. I wanted to hear you know, this is hard and and you're allowed to be nervous and, you know, it might not be a great result on the CT scan, but we'll be with you and we'll get through it together. And Mm. those types of comforting comments.
0: Which is really validating Mm -hmm. your experience, what you were feeling instead of negating, minimising, dialing down, wishing for the best, fingers crossed. And often people say the wrong thing because they don't know what to say.
1: Exactly. They
0: often I think also feel a level of discomfort with their own discomfort Mm. it's too awkward to talk about it so it's easy to say be positive and then we can move on from this conversation
1: yeah sure because it makes them feel better (laughs) yeah yeah so what what
0: are some of the things for people that are listening that you think you wished you'd heard at that time in your life both when your mum was ill and after she died
1: I think just to acknowledge how shit it is. Mm-hmm. You know, just the validation is so important and can go such a long way. And it's something that, you know, I've really taken on when I when when somebody talks to me about their problems regardless of what it is, you know, it's not for for anybody to comment on or give their opinion. It's something to validate and acknowledge how that person is feeling and I think I would have really valued somebody saying to me, I'm not sure what to say or I don't know if what I'm saying is the right thing. Please tell me if it's not, but I'm here for you.
0: Mm -hmm. And then you went on in this period to recognise that the resources weren't available. You couldn't find what you were looking for to help you as a woman in your early 20s grieving the death of your mother. So what happened next?
1: Yeah, it was, it was really isolating for me and I, I didn't know anybody my age and I, I longed for that. I was a member in a general grief group on Facebook. I had been searching and couldn't find any resources so I posted in there and just said, you know, hi, this is who I am and this is my story. Is there anybody else in the same position? And a girl named Eloise got back to me and she said, yes, that, that's me and would you like to meet so I met with her uh, in a in a cafe in 2013 and I felt a bit weird meeting a a stranger it felt like I was going on a blind date. You were? You? <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, and I said to her you know I've only got an hour in the morning cuz I thought I'll just say that and then I can get out of it <laughs> if she's a weirdo. <laughs> Anyway, I ended up staying with her for, for six hours and we had, you know, breakfast, brunch, lunch and I don't know how many coffees and hot chocolates and um, she's my absolute best friend and person and we started Motherless Daughters Australia together.
0: Wow. And is she similar age to you? Or?
1: Yes, it's, there's such uncanny similarities uh, with us. We're, we're born in the same year, a day apart Our mums are in the same year. They've got similar husbands. They're both into the football, both loved sewing, same middle names. It's just really nice, comforting similarities that make being friends and and there for each other a lot more meaningful. Hmm. Mm.
0: So from this blind date over Mm. breakfast, brunch, lunch and afternoon tea, (laughs) you went on to found Motherless Daughters Australia. What was the aim of founding this organisation with Eloise?
1: Well, the comfort that we got from sitting together for, you know, so long initially, just two strangers, we, we thought, wow, imagine, you know, if we've got that much out of this, imagine how many other women and girls there are in Australia who could also benefit from the same type of interaction. So, um, you know, given that there was no specific support for mother loss, we, we created it with a view to, ensure that all Australian women and girls who lose their mum are supported and have the opportunity to be connected with others.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think um, the stats are something around 3.7 million females mm-hmm. have lost their mother, women and, and children.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. At
0: how many do you think motherless daughters are still? How, what's, your, what's your network like at the moment?
1: We're just over 5,000 women. So that is a drop
0: in the ocean, isn't it? And, of course, you will have had other women and girls um, look at your fabulous resources and access some of what you've got on your website. But the gap between 5,000 and 3.7 million Mm. means there's many women who are living without their mothers and perhaps not knowing how to best navigate that or what that feels like or just to share as you say there's no right or wrong way but just to share with other people who have had that lived experience
1: yeah and especially you know as a woman facing all of the milestones that that women in you know in general face of that 3.7 million there's 1.2 million women who lost their mum before they the daughter turned 44 so that's in that age from 0 to 44 when you when you move through life and you know you get your period you start to develop breasts you go bra shopping you need pads and tampons and you meet your partner you buy a house engaged married and kids they're all things that women lean on their mum for, and to navigate life without her support during those times is really difficult. Mm.
0: And and as a mother of two teenage well, they're not teenage eighteen and twenty mm-hmm. year old daughters myself, and also my my mum who I'm very close to is seventy six and still going. Well, extremely strong. She likes to swim and ride and run and horse ride and play golf and jump out of aeroplanes if she could. I think. <sighs> I'm reflecting as I'm listening to you speak that you don't tend to ask your mum the questions about events that haven't yet occurred in your life. Mm. So when you're, you know, eight, you don't ask your mum about your period. And when you're 12, you don't ask your mum about your first boyfriend. And when you're 20, you don't ask your mum about buying a house because these things don't feel relevant at the time. That's right. Um, For me now, but, you know, you haven't asked your mum about menopause. Why would you ask your mum about menopause until it seems relevant? So... As I'm listening to you speak, I'm I'm reminded of all the events and all the triggers that happen across a lifetime. When you just want to call your mum, mm. you want to understand what it was like for her. You want that non-judgmental support. You want someone who's known you since birth. Yeah,
1: it's yeah. so true. Yeah, yeah.
0: What do you do with those events now? What what helps soothe that hole with Rosa not here?
1: Oh, look, I've, you know, I've made lots and lots of close friends from MDA and I lean on them quite a lot, um, especially Eloise. And I've also got a cousin who's um, 49 who lost her mum quite young as well. So I lean on those two probably the most and just get them to fill my bucket, I guess, with mum things and mum comments and mum words of encouragement or advice. And, you know, although it's never going to be 100% what I need, it does help a little bit, especially from from those who have experienced the loss. Mm.
0: And I also imagine through MDA there's perhaps a few different camps of pe- of women that are reaching out to you. There's those that have lost their mum, there's those that who's, whose mothers are very ill and they're anticipating the death of their mum. But what about the women who are sick themselves, the women who are mothers who are thinking about the time in the future when they die and leave children behind? Do they reach out as well? Yeah,
1: we have had quite a few reach out and, you know, ask what can I do or what can I leave my children? And that kind of um, spurred us on to create a, a fact sheet resource called What Can I Leave My Children? And it just talks about all of the different keepsakes, I guess, that you can leave your children based on and informed by what the women in our community have said their mum left them. So, you know, fingerprints or writing a letter for the major milestones, you know, making it really clear about what you want also when you do die so that your kids can be really informed and aren't left trying to figure out, oh, what would mum want? or And then live with the guilt of you know, oh, wish, you know, wish we didn't do that or maybe she wouldn't have wanted this, just anything that would make life just a little bit more, make them feel a little bit more comforted mm. as they move mm. through life. Do you think there are
0: some, some insights and some learnings that we can glean from what you have experienced and from the MDA journey for the many millions of women whose mothers are still alive?
1: we actually get quite a lot of young women joining our support group and you know they'll be joining from their mum's bedside in palliative care or mum's at home and you know dying from a terminal illness and and they say what can i do or how should i be you know utilizing this time and they are just bombarded by so many women who just offer the most beautiful advice and support and you know videoing your mum and Make sure you ask this and this and this question and get her to tell you about her pregnancy with you or just all the questions that we wish we had have asked. We're in a bit of a privileged position to be able to provide that really nice, helpful, meaningful um, advice to women who who's, you know, are about to lose their mum because, you know, essentially we're gifting them the opportunity to find out bits of information that we wish so badly that we had
0: tell me a bit about what has been the most difficult part of losing Rosa now because this is nine years later and so many people would be quick to say well nine years has passed so tell us about the grief process both yours personally and then let's broaden the lens to the grief process in general
1: well the five stages of grief I I'm not a fan of yeah
0: bullshit you say <laughs> well wh- what we do know for sure <laughs> is that the order of those stages they they're not linear
1: No not at all and you know you can experience all five at once or one at you know one at one time or three at one time and then none at, at some times you know it's I just think every day is different. And yes, it, you know it's been nine years, but I feel it actually gets harder in mm. some ways because I'm progressing through life. You know, for example, she never got to meet my partner, mm. and I'm pretty sure she would love him, but I'm not a hundred percent sure because she can't tell me. You know, having children, I I won't have her there for that. If I choose to have children, I you know. Going through that without mum will be really bittersweet. Just having her there for general advice, and you know, there's a big part of me that feels lost. Mm. I, I feel like I've, you know, like a flag in the wind sometimes, and I've lost my anchor and the person that I call home. Mm. It's difficult going through life without your mum when you're young, in particular, because I I feel she's your biggest advocate and cheer squad and. The one person that loves you unconditionally that can, you know, say whatever to you or give advice and you'll be shitty with her, but then you'll love her again that night. And I think it's very life altering and, and put and has put me on a on a different trajectory for sure.
0: And that's a really important message, isn't it? That nine years is is meaningless. Mm-hmm. The amount of time that's passed is meaningless. Yeah,
1: for sure.
0: And yeah. I and I know when I talk to people and I've spoken to many over the years around grief, that the timeline counts for nothing. And when people say, well, time will heal all, I'm always perplexed Mm. by that saying. I I do believe that perhaps what we do with that time helps us to heal. But that grief is with you always. It just depends how big that ball is that you carry. And I guess some days the grief Mm. ball is... So heavy that it weighs you down until you can do nothing. And other days the grief ball shrinks. You pop it in your handbag and you kind of deal with your day as you would like to. It's still there though.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and for me personally, it's taken a long time, but I'm now comfortable with the fact that I am going to miss my mum and love my mum forever, and that my grief and longing for her is a part of who I am and you know, I'm going to carry that around with me forever mm. and, and that's okay. And if that makes people feel uncomfortable, I've gotten very good at, at just wiping them, I don't care. Mm. Mm.
0: Mm. And you can feel you, you, the pain and the emotion and the, the grief, the way I define grief is the difference between where we are now and where we thought we would be. Mm. And where you are now and where you thought you would be Nine years ago, eight years ago, ten years ago, five years ago, is not, not, not where you expected to be without Rosa in your life. Mm. So why that would dissipate or why that would disappear makes little sense. But that's what often people want for mm. you, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. the
1: five stages of grief. No, I would probably say the emotions of grief mm-hmm. probably is mm-hmm. a little bit more relatable because you don't. I don't know, I just, I, there's just something about trying to fit people into a stage or a box in terms of grief that I think, again, is helpful for some but I feel normalising the emotions mm. and maybe labelling the emotions mm. would be a nicer approach mm. rather than labelling.
0: Yeah, bang on. So for those who are listening who might not be familiar with the stages of grief, there's denial, there's um Anger. Anger. There's bargaining.
1: Mm.
0: Acceptance. Depression. And depression. Yeah.
1: That's my least favourite one because I, you know, I understand that grief could lead to depression, but my belief is that you would need some other pre-existing challenges going on in your life to, to get really down in that depressed state. I, I feel t- too quickly society label grief as depression mm. And it's not depression, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's very okay to 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 feel shit and not get out of bed one day. And if all you do is get up, have a shower, and hop back into bed, that's fine. That doesn't mean you're depressed. Mm. And I see it all the time in our support group. People think they're depressed because they're grief because they're grieving, and because that's what the five stages tell them.
0: Mm-hmm. So what else would you put? You said jealousy. I love that because yeah. you're saying sometimes you tell me about that. What when does jealousy arise for you?
1: Oh if I see a mum and a daughter who who is either you know looks my age or the age I was when mum died, yeah even if my friends who have their mums, you know if oh, I'm just going over to mums or mums made this for me, I do get envious. Mm. I just' because I long what I would give to have that mm.
0: um, so yearning, jealousy, and mm, yearning, yes. Mm.
1: Yearning should be a stage. Mm. I mean... They're
0: not stages, they're just experiences. They're, yes. Emotions. I, is the decision to have children or not have children, has it been impacted by your mum's death?
1: Yes. You know, it w- would be so nice to have children and to have that relationship that she had with me and that I have with her. But then there's part of me that thinks, is that going to be too fa- painful to go through that experience without her and to you know, have children that she's not going to get to meet and that they're they're not going to get to meet her and I don't think I'll probably decide yes, I do or no, I don't. I think if it's something that happens for me then it, it happens and I'll cross that bridge when I come to it but it is hard to know. It's like what I was saying before, you, you feel like you lose your anchor and everything you were sh- you thought you were sure of in life because I, I feel yeah, when you lose your mum young, you're not—you haven't fully developed your identity, so that loss really helps to shape the identity in a different way than what it would have been had mum have still been here.
0: Mm. Mm. And is that something you've talked to your partner about?
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, I've said, you know, I'm scared. I don't know. I don't know what I want or how I feel. I think deep down, I do. And the grief is masking that. So I always wanted kids. You know, I used to talk to mum. I said, I used to tell her I want four. <laughs> so I think if I go back to that, the answer is yes, I do. It will just be hard without her.
0: What about your work is, or MDA is focused on mothers and daughters. What about mothers and sons? Do, do do you, have you worked in that space or spoken to many sons? Do they reach out? And the other question I was wondering is about people who are motherless but not through death, through estrangement or through other, for other reasons, disconnected.
1: Both Eloise and I have brothers. Eloise has got two and I've got one. And when we were going through the startup phase of the not-for-profit, we we did speak to them to see if they wanted to be involved or, you know, we certainly got their input in terms of shaping it. And they, all three of them said, "Mm, it's probably not something we would do. You know, we, we can't see ourselves going and connecting with other guys randomly, you know, it's just no. <laughs> so we just took their advice at that point in time and, you know, that's not to say that we won't ever um, expand and help guys and sons in the future. Mm. We've got a couple of initiatives for kids, uh, boys and girls. We've mm-hmm. got our Memories of Mum journals and the Build a box, Build a Memory Box initiative.
0: Tell us about those.
1: So the Memories of Mum Journal was um, something we put together and it's just full of writing prompts. So it's, um, it's for children and it's, it's got questions in there such as, you know, what's your mum's name, write it in big bold letters, what colour were her eyes, how tall was she, when's her birthday, you know, write down her favourite song, write a recipe of hers uh, and then it's just got spaces to either paste a photo or draw a photo if they don't have photos. Mm-hmm. And just some mindfulness, colouring in and they're free. Mm. So we send them out to, yeah, boys and girls under 12. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if somebody's older than 12 and, and wants one, we we send them out. Mm-hmm. It's, ideally, it's...
0: Younger but, children. Yeah. Mm.
1: In the future, if, if we're in a position to expand and, you know, there's a need for it, we can. But for now, we really want to focus on women and do that well because, you know, at the end of the day, we are... Two women who, who started a not-for-profit based on our experiences mm. of mother yeah.
0: loss. Which doesn't negate or minimise the loss that a, a, a young man or an older man would feel around the loss of their mother, no. but it's not your, not your area of focus.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: One of the resources I saw on your website that I loved, and I've got it here in front of me, it's paying homage, as I understand it, to the amount of triggers that cross our path every day, particularly those without a mother. So when Mother's Day comes, for instance, and there, of course, are other times in the calendar year that um, we're bombarded with messages about mothers, but Mother's Day would have to be on the top of the tree there, I imagine. <laughs> so we all receive countless, and it's happening um I know Human Cogs is is a, um, you know, evergreen content. We hope that people listen throughout the year. But as you and I are recording this, we are fast approaching Mother's Day. So at the moment in my inbox, I'm getting endless, you Mm -hmm. know, Mother's Day promotions and and emails and we see it in the shops. Tell us about this ambassador email pro forma, Mm. I guess it is, and, and why you created it, what it is and why you created it in response to this trigger that that's happening all day, every day, particularly in the lead up to Mother's Day?
1: This is the one thing that I absolutely love that we do at this time of the year. And I guess for me, it, it makes approaching this time of year a little bit easier. Last year, you know, our support group at this time of the year is just going off. You know, there's so many different points of interaction in that group. And it's always in response to I received a Mother's Day promotional email and it's really upset me or spoil mum this Mother's Day and you can't because she's dead or, you know, really triggering. So we, we were thinking how can we empower our community at this time of year, you know, at a time when everything feels so out of our control and it's just happening around you and you can't escape it or do anything about it. And we, we decided to come up with a, a carefully crafted email that our community could copy and paste off our website and send back to any promotional um, emails that they receive. And it certainly doesn't rain on the Mother's Day parade whatsoever. We, we absolutely understand the importance of celebrating mums and, and we too celebrate our mums on Mother's Day because that's important. We just do it differently. But it's an invitation to businesses, companies, small small businesses, to uh, you know think about those that don't have their mum to celebrate on Mother's Day, and and just invites them to help raise awareness so that we can reach more women and girls, and more importantly, from from their perspective, make sure that they're looking after their community or their database of customers and. And really thinking that, you know, it, it isn't a, a great day and time for everybody and that it is quite challenging and, and sensitive for mm. some people.
0: Mm. Well, 3.7 million, yeah. it's a sizable percentage of the population. It starts with My Name Is, and I'm writing as an ambassador for Motherless Daughters Australia, and it talks about um, who you are and who your mother was as for, for each individual to fill out. And then it, it talks about how challenging, as you say, Mother's Day can be. And then it says, so how can you help? This is the action piece that I love because it's a call to action mm-hmm. for organisations, big and small, to do something a little bit differently, to be aware that they're sometimes mindless or at least automated mm-hmm. um, content might not land as they hope it will. And it says, what if I'd love it if you could share information about MDA on your social media accounts by using the links below. Mm-hmm. Include a link to MDA in your upcoming email marketing campaigns for Mother's Day. So for anyone that's listening that's involved with an organisation, um, in retail, any corporate, this is a, a great action that it's so simple just to to raise awareness but particularly those that are sending out mothers day messages so i i absolutely love that so where to from here what does mothers motherless daughters australia w- want to continue to do and are there any events um anything that you you would like to to promote to either those that are listening who maybe their mother has died or they're a mother themselves or who are simply interested in supporting this very universal cause that you've um, created?
1: Well, for us, you know, we're on a mission to reach every single woman and girl who who has lost their mum and, you know, a, a personal goal of Eloise's and I is, you know, we won't stop until the 3.7 million do know about us, you know, if and when they need us and the wider community in general so that we know unfortunately when it is their turn to to jump in our shoes they know that we're there to catch them and um, you know provide a little bit of support for them when they need and aside from that you know we we really want to expand our support services at the moment we run face-to-face events in four states new south wales victoria queensland and the act and we'd love to be able to expand that nationally so that the other remaining states can access some face-to-face support as well we really want to start support groups just in general as well to meet on a, on a regular basis and provide more face-to-face opportunities for women to really connect because we just see the benefit in that, you know, every time we have an event or, or something, the feedback we get is just overwhelming the, you know, the relief that one per, just one person gets from meeting somebody else in the same shoes is tenfold. It's, you know, it's, it's so nice to be able to provide that, so we, we really want to focus on that and, 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 of course, develop more resources, fact sheets and, and other information on, on how you can support someone who whose mum has died.
0: Yeah, because this has become a full-time gig for you, hasn't mm. it, since you've been able to secure sponsorship from Priceline. Yes. Yeah, I mean, why not give Priceline a shout-out yep. <laughs> for backing you and allowing you to dedicate all your time to mm. this? To this cause and this issue. I'd love you just before we wrap up today to tell me one of your favorite memories of your mum. Let's honor Rosa, not just as you know a passing story, but as the woman that has impacted your life in such great ways and is now going on to impact the lives of 5,000 others and soon to be 3.7 million others.
1: Mm. Well, uh she was an avid Collingwood supporter and, <laughs> and so am I. And um we got to the footy once while she was down having treatment at, at Peter Mac and we went to the Peter Mac Cup and watched Collingwood Carlton play. Aside from that, we used to get dressed up and sit in front of the TV with our banners and our face paint <laughs> and put our Collingwood jumpers on and, you know, we'd have a meat pie and set up at home and, and just watch it and yell and scream at, at the TV and, you know, that's something I continue to do uh, if I'm not at the game and, you know, whenever I watch the boys play or whenever I see anything Collingwood Collingwood, it's, it's such a nice memory for me and I'll, you know, I'll take that on mm-hmm. forever and ever and get dressed up in the... T- front of the TV every
0: weekend. (laughs) You're even wearing black and white today. I I I have to know. That wasn't planned. (laughs) And what that speaks to is the power of rituals in Mm. our relationships, isn't it? It's not what I call the Disneyland moments that you remember. No. You're talking about a a weekly ritual of watching a football game and the connection and the power of a ritual Mm. that, that you're now continuing in your own life. So we like to finish this conversation on human cogs with the same question, and that's in amongst um, the challenges that life brings, and particularly what you've talked about today, which is grief is one of the most powerful experiences that no human gets to dodge. Who do you think is doing human well?
1: Oh, I, w- I would—I'll say Lucinda, who's a, a member of our community. She's had a really difficult time, and and since being involved with MDA, she has just. Oh, you know, it's been so nice to see her so happy and, and just very recently she, she was an MDA gem, which is one of our initiatives to, to fundraise for us and she put on this amazing fundraiser uh, and had, you know, nearly 100 people there and raised just over $3,000 for us. It speaks so proudly and, she's she, yeah, she does human really well. She's great.
0: Cheers to Lucinda. Yeah. And and that also reminds me, one final point that's in some of your material on the MDA website, but is is the point that um, grief is, as we said, not linear and there's ups and downs to it. And often when you say to someone, I'm having a good day, they kind of are so pleased that you're okay that they want to kind of wash their hands of you and think you're fine now, you're fine now. Mm. But as we know and as you articulate in some of your materials, that okayness sits alongside the grief and joy sits alongside the sadness Mm. and enthusiasm sits alongside the anger and so it goes. So I I loved that in some of your materials and, and it's just I was reminded of it hearing you say, what a fabulous job Lucinda's done mm. but it doesn't mean she's still not bleeding no that's
1: right yeah. so
0: we can honor all these parts of us can't we
1: well yeah they absolutely coexist yeah and you know what you see on the outside is not what's going on on the inside and, and you're right people do see that you're okay or you say you're okay and they think oh good she's over it I don't have to be made to feel uncomfortable no more awkward conversations yeah Yeah, they they do coexist forever.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, and you're here to say, Danielle, that for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. you will be grieving Rosa. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Human Cogs. We know that being human is pretty messy for the best of us and we really hope these conversations challenge what you think you know about yourself and maybe some others in your orbit. And you know Mads, as a psychologist I know I'm having a good day at work when people say to me, Sabina, I've never thought about it that way before. That's what we hope your experience will be listening to Human Cogs. So if you want to find out more about other episodes or about this episode, jump on our website at humancogs.com.